You're doing really well. Uh, this is always the graveyard shift, isn't it? Um, but God's the one who raises the dead, so that's, uh, <laughs> there's still hope for us. Uh, a great memory verse, absolutely. Um, it, it's a spectacular verse in Scripture, but I wonder how often it's been taken out of context. Uh, maybe you've seen a poster uh, with a picture of, uh, I don't know, a little kitten hanging out of a tree or something with, uh, for God works in all things. Uh, maybe um, on, a, on a, a tea towel, maybe, or a, a special inscription inside a Hallmark card, maybe. It, it's got that kind of uh, pithiness about it, doesn't it? That just kind of seems to stand on its own, this verse. Uh, God working uh, in all things for our good. But uh, I wonder, though, whether at times it just seems a little hollow. Uh, whether it, it could be something that gets said in the context of suffering and, and difficulty and it just seems a bit like an empty platitude. Uh, somebody's dying and we say, well, don't worry, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. It, it just doesn't seem to cut it in a way. Well, we need to look at Scripture in the context of Scripture. And when we do that, we'll just see what a marvellous promise this is uh, and a promise to take hold of in just about any and every situation. And I hope that it can be a verse that is not only memorable, but transformative. So why don't we pray uh, as we look at the scriptures now that, that God will speak to us, that he'll, he'll keep us awake, keep us alert, uh, keep me clear, so that as we look at this last part of Romans 8, we'll, we'll go from here deeply encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that now, uh, this afternoon, uh, you'll refresh us, uh, not only keeping us alert, awake, our minds clear and focused, but that you'll refresh us by your Spirit as we hear your voice. Uh, give us insights into this uh, text in front of us. Uh, encourage us so that when we face trials of all kinds, uh, we'll know where to turn. We pray that you'll be preparing us to uh, remember your goodness, to remember your power and your love as we go about living in the light of the new creation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Is that true? Uh, or is it wishful thinking? Well, let's have a, a look at it. And this verse really uh, is something that we should take phrase by phrase. And that's what we're going to do for a few minutes, just to see how much there is in this one sentence in Scripture. First of all, in all things. Now, in the original Greek, it didn't start with in all things. It actually uh, begins with God as the subject. But in all things, God is at work. And, and we need to grasp this because the temptation is for us to think that in some things, God is at work. But it doesn't say that. It says in all things. Not just the blessing type things, but even in the cursed type things, right? God is at work in the good and in the bad. God is at work in sickness and in health. 
God is at work in richer and in poorer. Uh, beginning to sound like a wedding, isn't it? God is at work in the big things in life and in the small, in the major decisions and in the things we don't even think about. God is at work in the known things and the unknown things. God is at work in the religious stuff and in the secular. God is at work in the context of suffering. Remember, that's what we've been looking at here. This question of a world which is painful, a world which has been subjected to frustration, a world which is groaning, where Christians are groaning, where the Spirit of God helps us with groans, God is at work in all these things. Every context. God is not the God of blessing only. Now, I suspect that maybe some of us have had too small a view of God. That we tend to constrain God to thinking that, that when things go well, God is at work. And, and I hear this language. Uh, when people talk about something that's happened in their life and how it's got better, they say this, and God was faithful and this happened to me. And they're talking about a positive outcome. But what happens when the outcome isn't that positive for them? Does that mean that God was unfaithful? What does it mean for God to be faithful? What does it mean for God to be at work in all things? Well, I'll take you to Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah 45, uh, God speaking here through Isaiah says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. You hear that? This is actually the word of the Lord, God speaking through Isaiah, and he says, I bring prosperity, and we get that, that sounds good, that's a nice thought, God brings prosperity, and he creates disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. I wonder whether our view of God is in a box called the good stuff, the stuff that we think is good. And when there are things that happen that are outside that box, when things don't work out the way that we think they should work out, or when difficult things happen, or when on a global scale there's disaster, God is not at work. It says, I bring prosperity and I create disaster. Challenging, isn't it, to, to our view of God. God is at work in all things, even the hard things, even the painful things, even the things that we grieve at. God is at work. And we need to remember, friends, that it's not my circumstances that show that God is at work. It's, see, when a difficult thing happens, when we lose a loved one, when there's a serious injury to somebody, when there are people who lose their homes in a bushfire or in floods, we are tempted to think that, you know, maybe God doesn't love me in this situation. Maybe God's not at work in what I've been through. But we're looking to the wrong thing for evidence. And Romans chapter 8 helps us to see this because it's impossible to look at the circumstances of life to work out whether God is doing good or God is not doing good. It's impossible to work out whether God loves me 
or doesn't love me on the basis of the things that I see that happen to me. See, see when, I, when I get the job, he loves me. When I lose the job, he loves me not. When, when I'm healthy, he loves me. When I'm sick, he loves me not. You see, if we look to the circumstances of life, then it's just like the little kid picking the flowers off a daisy. It doesn't point to anything solid. It doesn't give us anything to grab hold of. But the evidence for God working good, the evidence for the love of God, we will see, is actually to be found in the cross, in Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. Notice there's in all things that God works for the good of those who love him. And the second thing I'll pick up on here is that God works. Um, it's not Disney theology. You know Disney theology? It'll be all right, it'll be all right, it'll be all right in the wrong run. No, that's, that's red gum theology, isn't it? Um, it's, yeah, and everybody lived happily ever after. And it's almost like there's, there's a natural kind of karma in life, according to Disney. You know, you'll get the wicked witch and they'll come along, but they'll be done away with. And, and she'll marry him and they'll live happily ever after. It's not saying that. Now, it's actually saying that God is deliberately, consciously at work. God works through all things. It's one of the questions that I've been asked uh, more times than I, I could probably count is in relation to my health at this point of time, um, do you think it was the chemotherapy or, or do you think it was God? And I say, yes. Because God is at work in all things. If I'd had no treatment at all and I'd come back to health, then it would be no less God at work than if I'd had 64 courses of chemotherapy, which I did. See, God is at work in all things, not just the inexplicable things. God's given us minds, he's, he's created an ordered universe, we can piece together patterns and, and order and structure and, and normal cause and effect. We can actually predict things that are likely to happen. Science is possible because God has created an ordered world. It's not the case that when you can't explain something, then God is clearly at work because that's just the God of the gaps. And then when science finds an answer for the gap, you don't need God anymore. No, it all stems back to God. God is at work. And we need to recognise this and to thank God for this. God is at work. And what is he doing? What's his purpose? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So there's a focus to God's work. God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. That is those who trust in Jesus those who have become his children, those who are Christian. God is at work for the good of Christians, you see. Now remember again, this is in the context of his writing about suffering. God is at work in the context of suffering to work for the good of those who love him. I'll give you an example of this from the first book of the Bible, from the book of Genesis. Um, if you know Genesis, it, it uh, tells the family story, uh, particularly from uh, chapter 12, Abraham onwards. And you, and you get to Jacob, right? And Jacob has 12 sons. And then the big focus of, of, of the last bunch of chapters in the book of Genesis is on one son, 
Joseph. And what happened to Joseph? Well, the rest of his brothers got jealous of the attention that Joseph got and they took him out and they put him in a hole and they sold him into slavery and then they pretended that he'd been killed and they went back and told their father. Meanwhile, he's sold into slavery. The slavery takes him to Egypt uh, through various circumstances. He ends up in the position of second in command in the nation of Israel at the time when a massive famine is crossing the land and in the wisdom that God gives Joseph, um, he is able to put aside food so that not only the Egyptians are able to live through that, but the people of his family, Joseph's family, Jacob and his sons and their family are able to come across and they're able to be saved from the famine. Now, when you look at the course of Joseph's life, in so many ways it's like disaster after disaster. And yet when Joseph meets with his brothers again in, in chapter 50 of Genesis and verse 20, he says this, speaking to his brothers, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. See, people have their purpose, and yet God through people's harm brought about good. And what is the good? to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God is at work in all things, even in the tragedy that was Joseph's life. God was at work, rescuing Joseph, that he might save the lives of many. Well, there was someone else like that, wasn't there? The one who God's people wanted to harm, a mock trial, a crown of thorns, nailed on a cross. What you meant for harm, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. You see, God works even through evil. Was there ever a more evil event than crucifying the Son of God? No. Were the people held accountable for crucifying the Son of God? Absolutely. Did it escape the good purposes of God? Never. God worked through that for the saving of many lives. And you see, what God is doing in the context of the suffering, the, the, the world being subjected to frustration, even the persecution of Christians, we might not be able to see it, but God is working for good. He's working towards the saving of many lives. And, and maybe we won't see or make sense of the circumstances that we're in. Sometimes I think we get a window into that. So I, I can look back now and I can, I can see, okay, having been um, struck down with cancer, God opened up um, various doors for ministry through that. I wouldn't have signed up for it. You know, if, if God had said, Dave, I want you to have a ministry to, to people with cancer. Um, I want you to be taken seriously. So if, if you're going to be taken seriously, I'm going to have to give you cancer. Uh, let's, let's take, well, let's make it the cancer that kills more Australians than any other. Let's make it lung cancer. Uh, so that everybody assumes that you're a smoker and you deserve it, which they don't, by the way. And let's make it stage four, which is incurable. I'd say, God, you've got the wrong guy. It's Russell Smith, S-M-I-D-T. 
See, I wouldn't have signed up for that. And yet God is working through these things. God works through all things, even the hard things, to bring about his good purposes. Sometimes we get to see that, but we need to trust God when we don't, that that's what is going on. But the danger is, of course, that we think we know what the good is. You know, when it says that God works for the good of those who love him, we, we, we've got a pretty good idea what good would be when we're suffering. Good, obviously, would be freedom from suffering. Be a little bit of comfort, a little bit of, of pleasure, wouldn't it, rather than what we're going through? Well, look at what it says here in verse 28. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, verse 29... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See what the good is there? God is working through all things that take place for the good of those who love him, Christians. And what is their good? That they might be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus. You see, that's the good. The, the good is being made more like Jesus. It's growing in the likeness of Jesus. And, and that, that just kind of makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? That Jesus, the suffering servant, if we're to be made more like Jesus, the suffering servant, then God will be at work even through suffering, that we might become more like Jesus. You see, we aren't the people who determine what the good is, God works in all things for our good. And sometimes that will involve major discipline. Sometimes that, that will be a, a really strange set of circumstances. Really problematic, really difficult, really hard to bear. You see, how is God going to teach you forbearance, endurance, How's he going to build patience into your character? By making life cruisy? Probably not. Probably by making life difficult. So that you rely on him to help you forbear, to endure patiently. That's how God is at work. God is in the business of making us more like his son. Is that the good that you crave? Do you want to become more and more like Jesus? Well, no, friends, that God is at work in all things to do that for you. See, it's not simply what I define as good, it's what God defines as good, shaping me into the likeness of his Son. But there's more. That's not the ultimate good. Because I read half of the sentence. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing in us. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, ultimately what God's doing in all things isn't about us. It's about Jesus. God is working in all things that take place so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's plan for his universe doesn't centre on you or me. Is that a shock? <laughs> if I'm honest, sometimes it is. 
because I want God's plan to, f- to focus on me. And, and there's so much in the Bible that's really good for me. For God so loved me, right? But no, that would not be good for me to be the centre of the universe because I'd have to dislodge Jesus. Jesus in God's plan is at the centre of the universe. And you know what's so wonderful? That he wants brothers and sisters with him. God's plan is that he might be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. You see, God's plan for Joseph, back in Genesis, right through to chapter 50, was that what they meant for evil would result in good, the saving of many lives. God's plan for Jesus is that what they meant for evil would result in good, that is, the saving of many lives. But God's plan for Jesus is that he might be raised, he might be saved, so that we can share with him. Isn't that good? I mean, that is the ultimate good, isn't it? That Jesus might be at the centre of all things. That's the best thing that can happen. Can you think of anything better than that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is on the throne ruling over all things and that we get to share in that? That's the promise. And look at this wonderful chain in verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called... Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. An an unbroken chain at work there. All these big words focus in on, on the incredible capacity of God to bring about his purposes through any and every situation. Nothing can thwart the purposes of God. You're struggling, you're finding life difficult, then look in confidence to the fact that God is at work. And what God started, God will finish. Interesting, isn't it? You, you, you read these things, past tense, predestined, past tense, called, past tense, justified, past tense, glorified. But is that right? I mean, because if we go back to chapter 8 and verse 17, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also, future tense, share in his glory. I mean, we're not there yet. We're still suffering. But here it is in the past tense. And I take it, God's promises are so secure that he can even speak of our glorification in the past tense. What God begins, God finishes. Well, look at the application that he brings from this. Um, Nothing to fear is the basic message. Verse 31, what shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, a a wonderful picture here of security in Christ. Security in the love of God. We live in a world which keeps telling us to seek security. Uh, And the measure in our world is what? Wealth, finances, banks. Oh, not banks anymore, but... See, the the measure in our world is of building your own security. But the measure in God's economy is that he has done all so that nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or a bad holiday, or a poor result on the exam, or being dropped by your boyfriend, or having uh, a, a massive financial loss during the GFC, nothing can separate you from the love of God because that love is secured in Christ Jesus. No one, no thing can take it away from you. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. See, the Apostle Paul's not just randomly plucking categories out of the air. You have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime. He says how we went through all of these things. In other words, I can tell you, says Paul, nothing, even the worst of things that has happened to me, can or will separate me from the love of God. The love of God is secured in Christ Jesus. And then he quotes from the Bible as it's written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. The Apostle Paul knew this. He'd experienced all kinds of suffering and he knew that none of those things threatened his experience now and in the future of the love of God. Nothing could separate him from God's love. And we need to remember again where we see that love of God in evidence. It's not whether we get a parking spot in the rain or not when we pray. It's a little more secure than that. Um, You want evidence of the love of God? Go back 2,000 years, go to Jerusalem, walk outside the gates... Go up the hill, look at the man hanging on a cross. It happened. Happened for real. Happened in a real place. Happened under a real government. Happened in a real time. Happened by the hands of real people. We're not just talking about ideology. We're not speaking about ethics and philosophy. We're not 
talking about religion. We're actually talking about what God did in history, time and space. Christianity, you see, it's not just a spark of ideas. It's the real God entering real life, doing real things. If, if none of that happened, look, we may as well leave now um, and not come back again. Just do other stuff. But if it did happen, then we can be confident in God's love, you see. Because it's not circumstantial. We don't have to be tossed around whether good things, bad things are happening in our life. Whether our hopes and dreams are being dashed. Whether the, the, the pain becomes all too much. We, we don't have to fear that God doesn't love us. As I said before, if you play the circumstance game, you'll, you'll have he loves me, he loves me not. But if you look to the cross where Jesus bled and died for you, then you will know of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life forever. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a, a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. So we've got to see where the love is. And that love is shown supremely on Good Friday. And we know that it's real love because of Easter Sunday. So friends, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. In all creation, neither circumstances, nor people, not the past nor the future. Nothing can take God's love from you. It's been secured in Christ. What are you called to do? Well, it's back there in verse 28. Love him. You're called to love him. What does it mean to love God? Or to trust and obey. To put your trust in the one who gave you everything and submit to him. Have you done that? Have you come to the point where you've submitted to God and put your trust in Jesus? Have you become a Christian? Do you know what it is to be adopted into God's family, to be given God's spirit? Because if you do, cling to the promises of God and don't be tossed around by the circumstances of life. You can be confident. You can be hopeful in the real sense of the word because of God. Time for questions again? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, I, I think just... Uh, one big help to us is remembering where this occurs in Romans 8. So what has he spoken about just before? He's spoken about this world being subjected to frustration. He's been talking about the world groaning, looking for things to be put right. He's talked about even Christians groaning uh, with the Spirit of God in them that things ought to be put right. In other words, there's, a, there's the reality um, of the seriousness of pain and struggle 
and suffering um, that comes prior to the, the wonderful promises of God that he's at work even in those things. And I, I believe that we need to sit with people. We need to listen to people. Uh, we, we need to recognise the pain and the struggle and the hurt that people are going through um, and them to, to feel our empathy, to feel our love uh, and, and that that's an important thing, to weep with those who are weeping um, because if people don't think that we understand the pain, then they will, they will believe, I think, that, that we're giving a solution, which is pie in the sky when you die, which is um, really glib and, and detached from reality. So I think there's a, um, there's a place for us to, to put ourselves in, into the shoes of people and, and seek deeply to understand what they're going through that we might offer a depth of hope to them in that context.